You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. On this week's episode, we break down the 49ers' 41-23 victory over the overachieving Seattle Seahawks in Brock Purdy's first career playoff game. We'll also preview their upcoming game against Dallas in the divisional round, a rematch of last year, and what a game it was. Yeah, unbelievable. What Brock Purdy is doing is just magical. It's, it's hard to even understand how a rookie quarterback last pick of the draft is just making this look so easy. Uh, the 49ers put up over 500 yards of offense, 505 um, in this game, which is just amazing. Some other stats uh, on Brock Purdy. There's a list of quarterbacks who have passed for over 300 yards, had three touchdowns with no interceptions, and a rushing touchdown in a playoff game. So the entire list in NFL history is Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, and Brock Purdy. Um, there was another stat I saw that he completed 18 passes in this game. Three of those were touchdowns, and the other 15 were all for first downs. How do you even do that? I mean, yeah. That's like the craziest stat I've ever seen. Sure. Um, also, Brock Purdy, with 332 passing yards in this game, moves into third place all-time in 49ers postseason history. Number one is Joe Montana with 357. Number two, also Joe Montana with 347. And right behind him, BCB, Brock Purdy. Unbelievable. Yeah, and a lot of people said that it didn't really pass the eye test and he didn't play his best game. You know, he does have kind of smaller hands and and it was sort of rainy conditions, so we don't know how much that played a, a role too. But really good information out there from Doug Clausen. I don't know if you guys follow, but he pointed out that even if you want to say that it was a lot of yak, okay, well, he had to put the ball where it needed to be. Brock Purdy averaged 18.4. You heard that right. 18.4 yards per completion. Quarterbacks who have never done that in a playoff game include Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Kurt Warner, Steve Young. It's just rarefied air. What he has been able to do in this offense, it has completely transformed us into finally the dangerous, dangerous team that that Kyle Shanahan has wanted his offense to be. And the yards per attempt, also phenomenal at 11.1. That's one of my favorite stats. It didn't used to be so popular, but it's definitely popular now because it's great to throw for 350 yards. But if it took you 54 passing attempts to do that, it's not a big deal. When you're averaging over 11 yards per throw, it's really crazy what he's doing. Um, Had a QBR of 89.5. Uh, QB rating of 131.5 and there were only two blowouts this weekend this super wild card weekend which Mm. lived up to its name it was indeed super and super wild Uh, but there were basically bookend blowouts everything else every other game was a tightly contested game the 49ers did not play very well in the first half sort of Um, They still put points on the board. Their defense was a little bit shaky. Purdy definitely looked a little bit off, but in the end, it was still a blowout. So how can you complain about a game like that? Um, They just responded so well, so well in the second half. Yep. So we're on to Dallas, but before we give you a little bit of a preview of that, we're going to go through our play-by-play of the game like we always do, kind of tell you or remind you of how (laughs) the 49ers put themselves in this position. Before we do, we're just going to touch on the other games, as you alluded to. It was a a great weekend of games. We went 4-2 and in our predictions. The first game was that kind of toss-up between Jacksonville (laughs) 
you know, you know who who would have thought last year as bad as they were, but bringing in Doug Peterson, Jacksonville knocks off the Chargers in spite of four first half interceptions from Trevor Lawrence. Um, today, the Chargers have fired their offensive coordinator um, Lombardi. A lot of people feeling like the head coach Staley, the Buck, should have stopped with him, but you know, Chargers affected by not having Mike Williams and it's tough on the road, but excuses, excuses, excuses. They copped off a 27 point lead. Yeah. I mean, technically I did call the Jaguars, but it still doesn't really feel like I called it. (laughs) How can anyone say like, Oh, I told you the Jaguars were going to win. You asked me to come back to you and I told you to pick that game. Yeah. They, yeah, they needed to, uh, come back the third largest comeback in NFL postseason history. Yeah. What a crazy game that was. I texted somebody at like 945 Eastern Standard Time and was like, oh man, my Jaguars pick is not looking so great this week. <laughs> and then it's like they kept chipping away and kept chipping away and, and ultimately came back. So they must be riding an unbelievable high. It'll be very interesting to see if they can keep that kind of momentum and mojo going against the Chiefs or if that was basically you know, takes all the emotion out of you completely. They could also come out super flat and just get stomped by the chiefs, which I'm guessing most people are probably thinking is going to happen, but we'll see. We'll see. Either way, it was a nail biter and a great game to watch. After that, you had the Buffalo and Miami game. Miami, of course, starting, you know, Skylar Thompson as a backup with Tua still out due to concussions. This was not an impressive win for Buffalo. They won 34 to 31, despite having 15 possessions. They got the ball 15 times and managed to put up 34 points. They had a bunch of penalties you know josh allen had two interceptions on miami's side you know jalen waddle phenomenal player super talented but he dropped so many deep shots in this game you just have to think he's he probably didn't sleep so well miami Um, had really awful issues getting the play calls in they had to burn multiple timeouts in the second half because they just could not get to the line on time there were of course reasons for that but still um, not an impressive win at all uh, for Buffalo, you don't have to win impressive to win a Super Bowl, but um, it definitely seems to me that you could make an argument now that they are certainly not invincible. Yeah. That's a team that can be beaten. I think when 49ers fans are looking ahead to a possible AFC opponent, if they do reach the Super Bowl, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, these are the teams that we're worried about. Obviously, the Chiefs had a bye, but the Bengals didn't look good either. Sure. Bengals, of course, you know, needed a 98-yard fumble recovery to hang on to a win and beat uh, the Ravens and their backup quarterback, you know, 24 to 17. Um, elsewhere, you know, the Vikings, we predicted that they would win. You know, they didn't. The Danny Dimes, you know, give give Brian Dave all, all credit. I, I think if he wins coach of the year, you can only be so upset as a 49ers fan when you look at a Giants team that only brought in one or two free agents you know, hardly changed the construction of the roster at all. And it's just a completely different team under Brian Dayball. They managed to win 31 to 24 over the Vikings. And even though it wasn't in prime time, Kirk Cousins did manage to, to shrink in the moment as he often does a very much debated um, fourth and eight, where it's kind of a bizarre play call. There was only one person really close to the sticks. It was almost like two go routes and like a deep over, but didn't try any of those took a, a four yard out route you know, to, to the tight end, I, I think, and, and just tackled right away. He didn't even give himself a chance. Just bizarre. Yeah, that's so weird to see. So Jefferson is the first read, and he's looking at Jefferson, and he said correctly that, that he felt basically the pressure coming through the A-gap. So like right in his face, he knew he was about to get hit. You have to release the ball. But how do you not give Justin Jefferson a chance to make a play on the ball? Even if he's in double coverage, who is going to be critical of you for launching a moon ball right before you get blown up to Justin Jefferson with the game on the line, fourth and eight? Nobody is going to be critical if that ball is incomplete or even intercepted. Yeah. You know, you, you 
that's all you had time to do. You gave it a chance. But instead, yeah, he chose to throw to Hawkinson on a three-yard out in man coverage. It wasn't even zone. I mean, the defender was right on him the whole time. Just an absolute miserable way to end a game, just a a head-scratcher. And once again, Kirk Cousins, a phenomenally talented quarterback who – somehow just does not seem to have that clutch gene that you need to win when it matters. Is that the Vikings' first loss in a one-score game this year? Probably is. Yeah, or <laughs> maybe second. Yeah, yeah, like I think their their luck finally ran out. I mean, a lot of people, I don't you know, they're they're men and they're professionals. I don't think you have to call them frauds. They're better at their job than you are at yours if you're listening to this. But yeah, I mean, they 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 coasted and you know, snuck out a lot of last second victories, but but no luck this time. The last game that we're not going to talk too much about, but the Bucks and Cowboys last night, kind of a snooze fest. Tom Brady um, surprisingly inaccurate and the offense and defense from Todd Bowles and Leftwich just incredibly stale. You you realize why we beat that team, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks, by 28 points. Just not an impressive effort at all. I don't think Brady's done. He was kind of talking in the press conference, like thanking the media like he's done, but it didn't sound like done with football. It sounded like done with Tampa. So in the meantime, Leftwich, it was reported, was fired today. And then Todd Bowles came out and was like, no, 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 he hasn't been fired, which to me means that maybe – you know, the, the, the higher ups in the organization want left, which fired and Todd Bowles is like, well, no, no, I don't, I don't want to fire him. And they're like, well, we're still deciding your fate, but he's definitely not coming back. In the meantime, the Cowboys did look impressive. It's unfortunate that there were only two teams that really had a, a pretty clean and impressive win and we're playing the other one yep. next week, but we'll get into that more. But, um, Let's talk about the 49ers in Seattle. Um, third time playing in a lot made of that. Uh, we thought sort of unnecessarily so. Yeah, it's funny. This whole, it's really hard to beat a team three times in one year. How many times did you hear that this week? Like it's never happened before. Sure. Well, newsflash, it's happened a bunch. And in the majority of cases, the team that won the first two went on to win the third one. Um, obviously, it has happened before where you know the team that lost twice in the regular season went on to win. We saw that last year. The Rams did that to us uh, famously or infamously. So it definitely is possible, but so much hullabaloo in the media about how difficult it is to do this three times. And it's like, okay, well, it's difficult if the team that you're playing is good. Sure. Um, The Seahawks are not. They, They did, I think, better than anybody could have expected coming into this year. This was basically billed as a, a rebuild kind of season for them after Russell Wilson left. And you know, the training camp battle was was fierce between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. We didn't even know who the starter was going to be this year. Yeah. So for them to come back, Geno Smith breaks the Seahawks passing record and takes them to the playoffs. Like, well done. I mean, sure. Seahawks fans have to be thrilled with that. Um, the fact that they were even competitive at all. But yeah. certainly there is a, a gap in talent between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Other storylines coming in, of course, you know, Geno's first time in the playoffs, not just Purdy's, but Geno's. And then Pete Carroll coming into the game, a lot of, you know, hemming and hawing, and, oh, unfortunately we have to play the 49ers. And then all of his former players who are analysts on TV saying, that's BS. He's in the locker room saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to kill these guys. Um, so a little bit of gamesmanship there. And Seattle played, especially in the first half, like they had nothing to lose. Like yeah. like they were just going for it. On the San Francisco side, how would Purdy fare with that ramped up pressure of, of playing with the, you know, with the season on the line? Um, and yeah. how would the 49ers look fully loaded too, finally getting everyone back fully healthy and once again a weather game you know yep. it, it never rains in california yeah. except for the last few weeks here it's been a a deluge but uh yeah that was certainly a concern coming in as well as we know the rain is an equalizer so it definitely does favor teams that are not maybe as talented maybe not as fast maybe not as physical 
the rain sort of takes away the precision of those top tier teams. Some people say, oh, well, it favors the 49ers because they're a great running team. It really doesn't. It is yeah. truly an equalizer. It basically minimizes what everybody can do in the difference between great plays and exceptional plays. Sure. The game started pretty much how you would exactly want it to for the 49ers. They won the toss and deferred, as they so often do, and they got a quick three and out thanks to a, a Kinlaw, um, a nice run stop, and then a huge sack from Eric Armstead, who just always seems to ramp it up in the playoffs. I'll also give some props on that sack to Fred Warner, who blitzed, but kind of held back and hesitated. I think he felt that Gino was going to try to escape the pocket, and he, he just sort of froze, and then by the time Gino accounted for Fred Warner. Armstead was in his face, dragging him to the ground. So they punted uh, where Ray Ray had a fair catch at the 36-yard line. And the 49ers came out looking a little rusty, or, or not rusty, but but shaky. You know, this maybe some of the nerves for Purdy, either nerves or wet ball. But the very first play of the game, Shanahan has shown so much trust in Purdy, but they go play action, and Purdy almost intercepted a throw that was just way off, way high, way behind, way something. I don't know. It just it wasn't anywhere near. Yeah, that was target. definitely a stop you in your tracks moment. So obviously Purdy has ice in his veins and the moment has not been too big for him. But that being said, he's a seventh round draft pick in his first playoff game in a bad weather game. So conventional wisdom says the first play of the game is going to be a handoff to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. End of story, period. Or if you want to be aggressive, maybe you do a screen to Debo Samuel, right? So, no, Shanahan actually dials up a deep shot, a shot play, and this throw was absolutely horrendous. Yep. Um, it kind of looked like one of those throws that you see when a guy gets hit as he's throwing it. It was just a moon ball that went nowhere near anybody. So you're yep. thinking, okay, is that the weather? Like, is it really raining a lot harder than we can see sitting at home? Or is he that nervous that he just threw a horrendous ball that's almost intercepted. So man, your blood pressure is going now. So it's yeah. like, okay, well we dodged a bullet on first down. So, okay. So now let's go back to the original plan, which is handing the ball to Christian McCaffrey, right? Okay. That was a wild throw. Give him a second. He'll come back from it. Nope. They dial up a deep shot on second down to Brandon. Ayuk. Yeah. Uh, crazy that Shanahan has the trust in Purdy to even do this. Um, and again, that's that's really creative play calling, certainly not what the Seahawks would have been expecting them to do. Sure, Ayuk did have that catch for 19, but even that was a bit of a spinning catch where the ball was thrown behind him. And Purdy was only one for four on this drive, but it didn't stop the team from scoring, thanks in part to a 22-yard toss you know, to Debo that he took down to Seattle's 23-yard line. Purdy took a play-action shot to Jennings in the end zone where Jennings leaked out. You know, it looked like a, a running play, and he leaked out. Should have been a touchdown, but Purdy didn't put enough zip on the ball. Jennings or just held on to it just a bit too long. It's got to come out sooner or with more force. I know we were frustrated, too, that if Jennings had had more presence of mind, if he had jumped back into the frantically retreating um, Seattle player, he he would have gotten the the flag on that. I think it was Tariq Woolen who who was rushing back to try to you know try to save it from being a touchdown. And if Jennings jumps back in to try to catch the ball, I think he gets that flag for sure. But he doesn't. But you know, either way, you know, Debo had a, a screen that he took for seven yards with some ridiculous open field shenanigans. He looks like he's finally back and moving the way he did last year. And then on third and three, Purdy had a, a bad sort of predetermined where he was going with the ball, you know, shot that a linebacker broke up, almost intercepted. So they settled for a field goal, um, but still nice to, to get points on the board early. But yeah, one for four for 19 yards on the opening. Yeah, definitely Purdy. concerning that that was the worst that we have seen Brock Purdy look, um, even going back to preseason. 
he definitely did look nervous. Whether he was nervous or not, only he can know that. I think there surely has to be some kind of nerves when you go and you're in the playoffs. I mean, Fred Warner has to have some kind of nerves. If you want to be more accurate about it, it may be just that the adrenaline is really pumping. And I guess the difference between veterans and rookies is that the veterans have been there before. They know how to channel that adrenaline into positive energy, whereas some of the younger players, when they have that adrenaline, um, it sometimes makes them more nervous, forces bad decisions, etc. So Purdy definitely looked off in the first half. He was throwing behind, really far behind yeah. a lot of guys, even on some of the completions, great catches, but really not great throws. Um, he was holding on to the ball. He was really um, breaking back into the pocket instead of stepping up into the pocket. Sometimes that works out, but in this game, there were definitely a few instances where it looked like kind of relying on sort of bad tendencies or that's more of like a college style move where you sure. really just kind of break out backwards and, and wheel around. Well, he, he looked like a rookie, you know, he went nine of 19 in the first half. That's the first time he's completed less than 50% of his passes in a half, I believe. Um, you and know. so in a game that ultimately ended in a beatdown, just remember this was the game where Brock Purdy did look like a rookie. This was yeah. what everyone was talking about. Well, what happens if Purdy comes out and he looks nervous? Or yeah. what happens if he's not balling out? Well, he didn't. And we still absolutely still scored wrecked the points. Seahawks. Yeah, the second drive for Seattle went again like you would want it to for the 49ers. The pivotal play there on a third and two. Seattle runs like a, a read option where they just you know try to capitalize on an over-aggressive 49ers defense. But Gibson really really great closing speed flies out to the edge and, and stops Gino. Um, so they punt it to the 15. Um, San Francisco from there settled in a little bit, um, or I don't even know if you could call it settling in. They kind of exploded um, McCaffrey with an 68 yard run um, where he was untouched. Just a beautiful play design where George Kittle comes in motion as the play, but not for a jet sweep or just as a distraction, he gets a running start and he and Trent Williams just plow a hole that was literally, I'm not exaggerating. If you didn't see it or if you don't remember the play I'm talking about, it's the one where you could drive a car yeah. through the hole that Christian McCaffrey then ran through. Um, you know, and I think they said on the, on the sports track, he was getting close to 21 miles an hour on that carry as well. I think they said that was the fastest speed he's reached since 2019. So um, awesome to see McCaffrey still with fresh legs yep. and he, um, at this point in the season. He wasn't done on that drive either. They had a, a play in the goal line. And this is something Purdy has done better, so much better than Garoppolo. Garoppolo is so determined to get the ball out of his hands that I think it's affected us in the red zone. You know, he sort of predetermines and, and he throws, but if, if the man is double covered or if it's not really there, it just doesn't work out and Purdy has shown tremendous patience if the protection is good you don't have to get rid of the ball you can wait and let things develop a little bit people are not expecting in the red zone to cover for four or five seconds and that's a luxury you have when you can actually escape from the pocket whereas Jimmy you know you can wait but once <laughs> once the protection is gone it's a sack um, so that's a, an advantage that Purdy definitely has, just a, a tool in his tool bag that Jimmy Garoppolo simply does not possess. So Purdy has that luxury to where he can hold on to it a little bit longer, see if something develops. If not, he can at least you know, get out of the pocket and throw it away, if not scramble for a first down. Yep. So he finds McCaffrey on a check down there where he was completely unaccounted for by the defense because of how much time Purdy bought. So 49ers go up 10 to nothing. Seattle did put together a pretty good drive after that, a scoring drive. Um, 
you know, Metcalf stopped running on a deep shot, but they picked up a, a third and five with a really nice throw. You know, Lockett had a gain of seven. There were a couple potential injuries in this game that were kind of worrisome. Greenlaw seemed to get hurt in that drive, but came in. But, you know, Gino had an 11-yard scramble, and, you know, Lockett had a couple first downs, even though he was rocked by Lenore. But it was just kind of a steady moving of the ball um, through the end of the first quarter, you know, on that drive for them. Ultimately, they get down inside the, you know, sort of the goal line area with some wildcat. They... They had the luxury of doing what not a lot of teams will risk doing, and that is throwing different looks and trying brand new things against us because they were desperate. You yeah, know, nothing uh, to lose at all. Nobody, yeah. nobody gives them a chance to win this game. A lot of people were not picking them to make the playoffs at all. So truly a team that's playing with nothing to lose and you know just giving it a go, like you said. Yep, so they ran some wildcat, and ultimately um, Walker beat Greenlaw to the edge for a touchdown to make it 7-10. to 10. Kind of bad contain from Ebukam on that. He dove inside and left the edge completely exposed, and Greenlaw's fast, but wasn't Yeah, wasn't not, a, not a great angle on that. Kenneth Walker is faster, um, and faster than you think. He, he took a pretty aggressive angle there trying to go for a tackle for loss and ended up uh, just <laughs> Kenneth Walker just basically ran right past him easy easy score yeah the three and outs on the first two possessions were nice but that that one kind of hurt it was a 14 place 78 yard drive that took up six minutes and 57 seconds so you know eh. San Francisco you know got the ball back and hit Brandon Ayuk for a crosser for 22 yards he only had three catches in this game but they were all kind of of that variety um Purdy picked up a scramble too and did a did a high step, got some nice press for that. You know. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was like a dead leg, like he was trying to juke, or if he was actually <laughs> high stepping. I don't know. It looked cool though. Yeah. So style points, definitely. Later on in that drive, Purdy took a deep shot all the way to the end zone, where the closest person was a Seattle defender. Ayuk stopped running on it because, you know, Debo was wide open over the middle of the field and it was like I guess he just thought the ball was going to go to Debo on the crosser it was interesting to kind of see Purdy you know they've talked about this that even as a seventh rounder he's not afraid to yell at pro bowlers he was yeah ye- he was yelling at IU yeah you know, come, on, out, BA. come on BA come on BA yeah, like, yeah lip reading uh, no bad lip reading uh, interpretation possible there very clear he was not happy yeah um, Kittle managed to pick up uh, an impressive first down where he kind of turned the corner um, Purdy audible to an RPO for McCaffrey um, for a gain of 14. Um, Purdy ended up taking a sack, though, in that drive. The the Seattle pass rush came in pretty hot. You know, the graphics on the screen told you that they had sacked the quarterback more in the previous two weeks than any other team. So with a third and 17 kind of in the red zone sort of area, the 49ers were not aggressive there. They just kind of ran a delay for McCaffrey and then Gold kicked a 33-yard field goal. So you go up 13-7, to you know, and you've scored, you know, on all three drives, but you're still not even up by a full touchdown, which – Definitely. <laughs> and you've got to give Seattle's defense some credit, too. Uh, Nuosu was just unbelievable in this game, had three tackles for loss. Yep. He's one of those guys that has kind of come out of nowhere. It's like, who did this guy play for? Like, where did he come from? Even earlier in the year, he really stood out on tape in the first two matchups with us. He was definitely their best-looking um, defensive player, certainly in the front seven. Uh, just really, really stands out on tape. A high-motor guy who's always near the ball. Yep. Seattle's fourth drive, the the worst came to worst. We've seen the 49ers do this in almost every game lately, but they they gave up an ill-timed bomb, and it was a 50-yarder to DK Metcalf, where if you look, go back and look at the highlight, Gibson's in single high, and he's not really close enough to help unlock it in the slot or Metcalf. Yeah. He's just kind of in no man's land, and Metcalf... <laughs> If when you, in doubt yeah when in doubt throw the bomb to the to the six foot five guy that runs a four three um a little bit i have a bit of like bernie syndrome from the incredibles if you 
just do this for me, 49ers fans. Go back and watch that. You will see that Metcalf, you're, 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 you're already like, like smiling at me. I'm telling you, he moves. He moves. Like in The Incredibles, Bernie. Um, he's leaning before the play even starts. It doesn't really matter. I don't think it affected the play that much. It's, it's Mooney Ward's fault for just assuming that they wouldn't throw deep. He turned his head in the wrong direction and just got completely burned. But, but yeah, I, it should have been a false start. But whatever. Either way, Seattle, yeah, big touchdown. Yeah, just a bad luck kind of a touchdown there. As you said, Mooney Ward turned his head, and that was right at the time when Metcalf basically is turning on the Jets. So really bad timing there. He was not able to recover. Geno throws an absolutely perfect perfect ball to Metcalf who really was the Seahawks offense in this one he would go on to finish the game 10 catches for 136 yards and two touchdowns Uh, just a really really solid performance and this was one of the things we talked about last week was Mooney Ward going to travel with DK Metcalf yeah and so well the last time he did he basically shut him down or, or came as close as just about anybody else has and the ironic thing in this game is that Mooney Ward did travel not not every time, but certainly more than he typically does. And Mooney Ward was actually the one that was getting pushed around. We were pretty critical of Diamador Lenore on last week's episode, which I think is fair because that's it's just based on his play. He has not been playing well. It's become a national story for anybody who is closely following the 49ers. Uh, Diamador Lenore has just not been playing well. There's no other way to say it. Um, in this particular game, he actually played really, really... He did really well uh, much better in fact than Mooney Ward Diamador Lenore had a pick in this game and even in the uh, receptions that he did allow the coverage was really sticky whether it was on Lockett or whether it was on Metcalf a really strong bounce back game from Lenore which is great to see because we know we've got some uh, some pretty talented wide receivers we're going to be facing next week as well for sure well as we said Seattle took the lead 14 to 13 there and then you know the 49ers go three and out with another bad pass from Purdy. And, you know, people are starting to say, well, the offense is looking shaky. I do want to just remind you, if you sort of didn't realize watching this game, that overall the 49ers went, and this is drive by drive, field goal, touchdown, field goal, punt, which is the drive that we're talking about now. But after that, they went field goal, touchdown, 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 field goal. This is the only driver they didn't score. So yes, you would have liked to have seen them convert all of those red zone and and opposite field, you know, kind of opportunities once they got into Seattle territory, but they didn't score on only one drive. And they weren't playing well. Again, yeah. when you look at it, it's like, oh, they look off. Oh, they look bad. And they scored on almost every single possession and put up 40 points. Yeah. So, you know, what can you say? The lack of moving the ball there was somewhat mitigated by a booming 57-yard punt from Wisnowski and Danny Gray actually in uh, in punt coverage did a good job made spectacular the, tackle made the tackle right away and Seattle punted um, so you know didn't kind of hurt you there I was worried after a three and out that Seattle would pile on but they didn't um, then San Francisco kind of you're getting towards the end of the second quarter there but they hit Ayuk for another crosser this time for 31 yards um, Purdy had a couple throwaways in this drive where he escaped out of the pocket. I don't know if he missed a read that was there or if he was just trying to avoid a sack, but was throwing the ball away a, a few times. But Debo had a nice gain for 18 yards down to Seattle's 28. Um, you know, but you know, ultimately the drive stalls and they settle for a 46-yard field goal to go up 16 to 14 with 13 seconds left. So that's good, right? You're going end of the half. Yeah, end, end of the half, right? Going in for a lead. They decide to kick a squib kick. Um, yeah, I don't like that. And even on the broadcast, they mentioned that if you're going to squib, you have to 
at least get it far enough down the field that there's some confusion or, you know, that it's not going directly to somebody. And that's really difficult to do. Um, The 49ers have had their fair share of issues on kickoff return coverage. So in one sense, I get that Um, that their, their coverage on returns has not been great but I still don't like the squib kick call there because you know you're going to get some kind of a, a decent return. You know, there's there's not... It's not like there's six seconds left in the half. There's yeah. 13 seconds. That is enough time that they can advance the ball a significant way if they call want to and still, you know, the, the clock will stop, of course, after the kickoff return. But, you know, then they have time to run another play, maybe call a timeout, maybe get into field goal range and, you know... yeah. And it was returned to the 39-yard line, so it started the drive with really good field position. With nothing really going on, Geno scrambles for nine yards, and then Jimmy Ward with the the dumbest play since, frankly, it was dumber than than Greenlaw's earlier penalties in the first couple games of the season. Yeah, this was like an all-time stupid yeah. play. For, for a guy who's a veteran like Jimmy Ward to do this, I, I was speechless. Yeah, one second left on the clock. Gino starts his slide. They are not going to have time for him to slide, hop up, and call a timeout. The half will be over, but Jimmy Ward insists on coming in late, launching into Gino for an obvious, like the most obvious penalty in the world. There was no like, oh, maybe they won't flag it. Even even we were like that, you know, it was such a late hit, and it just immediately moves them into field goal range where they convert on a 56-yard attempt. And after all that work to regain the lead, then Seattle... <laughs> You know, takes it right back. Yeah, squib, squib kick and then an all-time idiot play. Yeah. Like you said, the 49ers have been penalized way too many times when they are basically just trying to down a quarterback who does a really late slide. For quarterbacks, it's really advantageous to do this. You take a late slide, and there's a really good chance that the defender is not going to be able to stop his momentum. And because the NFL is the no-fun league and they are super soft – Basically, you're going to get that call a majority of the time, and the 49ers have been called for that so many times, it makes me want to puke, honestly. But in this case, yeah, Ward like absolutely launched at him yeah. with the shoulder, with the elbow. Like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? You just can't do that. I don't know if he was trying to jar the ball loose or or what. I, I mean, I don't want to assume yeah, that he was trying to hurt him, but... There's, there's no excuse. Yeah, with, if with I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm saying that's a dirty play. That is a dirty play. He absolutely launched at Geno. Yes, thank you very much. We'll take the three points, but crazy, crazy to see that. Again, from a veteran who should know better. So the 49ers go into halftime losing to to a wildly inferior opponent. And again, we already read you Purdy's stats at the half. McCaffrey, apart from that big 68-yard run, you know, only had, you know, four more yards on on his other four carries. Ayuk with the three catches for 73 yards. And Gino was 9 of 10 at halftime. And I know we were talking about it. We said, look, I know we're losing, but there's no way Gino completes 90% of his passes throughout the rest of the game. There's going to have to be some regression, you would think. But 49ers get the ball to start the half, and they do what Brock Purdy has done so well. We've mentioned it like three or four weeks in a row where they get the ball after the half, and they put together just a methodical drive, and they score. Um, there was you know, a nice play to Kittle for 23 yards. Um, you know, Debo had a slant and broke some tackles for 21 yards down to Seattle's 16 and that was kind of the turning point of the game in some ways because on that play, Jonathan Abram, after tackling Debo, kind of pulled his leg and twisted his ankle as if he was trying to hurt him. And Debo, good for him for not retaliating and not picking up a flag. But he he was definitely calling for it you know, to the officials. Like, did you not see that? He just tried to twist my ankle off. Immediate reaction from the 49ers bench. Even Shanahan came out on the field and was walking amongst the Seattle players. 
Yeah, so they definitely fired up the team. And Kittle was interviewed after the game about that and basically saying, like, I don't know why you'd want to piss off Debo because if you do, it's like, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, right? So, like, if you piss off Debo, you're going to piss off Trent Williams. Williams. If you piss off Trent Williams, you're going to piss off the whole defense. So he said not that we needed that sort of moment to happen for us to have motivation, but he said it certainly did fire the team up. And it was interesting. The 49ers did score in the first half, but it was kind of – you could say Kyle Shanahan was maybe trying to be a little bit too cute. Um, a lot of passes that you would not expect to see. Again, when you have this rookie quarterback coming in, you want to ease him into the game. You've got a phenomenal rushing attack going against a really bad run defense. The Seahawks have been bad all year against the run. So the 49ers didn't really show that's their true identity, right? Sort of this run first kind of offense. Uh, but they definitely reestablished that in the second half. And with the added motivation of the Debo leg twist, they basically were unstoppable from that point. Yeah, they closed that drive with three runs from McCaffrey for seven yards, two yards, and five yards, and then Purdy sneaking it in to make it 23-17. to So nice to retake the lead there. Um, Seattle's drive, you know, they hit Metcalf wide open again for 25. He was just a menace throughout this whole game. But they started to get a little bit rattled. You know, the crowd got loud. They had to burn a timeout because of it. Um, you know, Amena, who almost got to, to Gino, is kind of a foreshadowing of things to come. Gino broke the tackle but had to throw it away. And then on third and seven in 49ers territory, they had a false start. It was their first penalty. Um, and, you know, it was just you, you could tell that, that the nerves were starting to come in. You know, their center got hurt. Uh, they had a locket catch on that drive as they're trying to to, to score that was um, that, that was sort of taken out by an ineligible man downfield. They had three of those in these games. The, the commentators like, have they not practiced this play? That's so weird. Uh, the, the lineman was definitely close to that sort of two-yard range where you have to be, but he was across it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a team penalized three times for ineligible man downfield. Uh, that was definitely crazy to see. Not as crazy as missing four extra points, but still pretty Oof, crazy. We'll get to that. <laughs> Mooney Ward finally had a big pass breakup on an end zone shot, and then on third and 14, other than just the team being galvanized by what happened to Debo, certainly the play of the game was was Amena, who with yep. a sack and force fumble that was recovered by Bosa at San Francisco's 30 with two minutes and 31 seconds left in the third quarter. And the team just never looked back. It's so nice to see him emerge again. I feel like he, he got off to a hot start the season, and then we didn't really call his name or talk about him for, for probably yeah, like eight or nine weeks. he wasn't on the field much. I know Drake Jackson was kind of seeing a lot of, a lot of those snaps. Uh, you've had Givens. You've had some other players kind of step in and, and sort of take those uh, opportunities away. But, yeah, he had two sacks in this game. As you said, the strip sack there that Bosa recovered was the absolute turning point in this game. The 49ers dominated after that. And no turning back there. Uh, multiple first downs for McCaffrey on the next drive. Debo with the first down. Jennings um, hit with a 32-yard play action where all the way down to Seattle 7, where, you know, conflicting analysis <laughs> of that throw on social media. Certainly it was a little close for comfort. Like Risky. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, it would have been nice if Purdy had left that ball a little bit more to the sideline instead of close to where the safety Yeah, it drifted it. back to the inside. The safety very nearly broke that up, o- yeah. almost intercepted it. But down to Seattle 7, and then Purdy... Not the same play, but a, a very similar kind of result down in the red zone where, you know, first read is not there, second read's not there, just kind of 
you know, stays alive, shuffles around, stays alive, and finds Elijah Mitchell, who once again leaks out with no one there um, to go ahead and, and pick up the touchdown. And then I thought it was really neat and kind of aggressive. So they go up 12 there, and instead of kicking the extra point, they decide to go for two, and Purdy hits Kittle, who was not as involved you know, this week. He didn't get a touchdown, but he did get to, to catch that two-point conversion that made it 31-17, to 17. and now you're feeling pretty good at that point. It's like, okay, now Purdy was feeling himself after yeah, that, too. He did yeah. the sort of silverback, if you want to call it that, the sort of beating your chest kind of a thing. So, yeah, definitely pumped up, uh, very, very hyped. Yeah, wheels kind of coming off for Seattle after that point. I mean, they hit Metcalf for 15, but they had, you know, another <laughs> holding penalty that, that ended, you know, kind of a, a successful run. They had a false start, an incomplete deep shot to Metcalf, where another ineligible man downfield penalty was declined. They had to punt, um, and Ray Ray had a, you know, the punt was good all the way down to the nine, but Ray Ray returned it for 16 yards to, to the San Francisco 24 with 11.45 left. So from there, you know, Debo... <laughs> had you know we keep saying like the play of the game or the turning point but they had a, a really gorgeous you know rollout where Purdy hits Debo maybe a little bit late but just phenomenal blocking from Kittle and Ayuk down the field and Debo all he does is is take it 74 yards for a touchdown and it's just bedlam 49ers go up 38 to 17 yeah Ayuk didn't again you know it's funny to hear Kyle Shanahan be a little bit critical of him again uh, after he has finally made his way out of the doghouse, but he said in recent weeks that that BA hasn't had his best game. He did some good things, but certainly left some plays on the field as well. We mentioned already the the sort of vertical that he stopped running. There was another play later in the game that I'm sure you're going to talk about. Uh, yep. Uh, so so we'll get to that in a second. But on this play, Ayuk really did um, seal the sideline for Debo. Debo kind of faked like he was going inside. Yeah. Um, and Ayuk sealed the block, and Debo looked very fast as well, um, running down the sideline. So that was the nail in the coffin, if you will. So, so if you want to call the Omenahu like the sort of, you know, the winds of change or yeah. whatever, like the foreshadowing, whatever. This was it. It's like okay, the game's over now at this point. Yeah, this was a pretty fun sequence because you're, you're, you're still kind of like celebrating the forced fumble. And then, you know, and, boom. And then boom, 74 yards for a touchdown. And you're still celebrating the touchdown and you're like scrolling and watching like replays of it in reaction. And the very first play of Seattle's next drive is a comebacker to lock it that Diamador Lenore picks off. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the crowd just gets louder and louder and louder. That was picked off at, at the 37. So, you know, the game is pretty much over at that point. The 49ers, you know, it's hard to call it a drive because they were already in, in really good position, but they get down inside the goal line and Purdy scrambled around almost like Johnny Manziel for what felt like 15 seconds before. Sideline to sideline. Yeah. Rolls out to the left, comes all the way back to the right. Pump fakes, gets a man to, you know. To yeah, dekes out one defensive lineman completely, <laughs> steps up, throws a dart, yep. an absolute dart to the back corner of the end zone hits Brandon Ayuk right in the hands and he drops it. And folks, it is such a shame because that should be an all-time, all-time NFL highlight, not just for Brock Purdy, but when you talk about great plays, unbelievable plays that happened in the playoffs, that was going to be one of those plays because of what Brock Purdy did. It was every bit as good as any kind of career highlight that you've seen from Patrick Mahomes where he just makes magic happen on a broken play or a scramble every bit as good as one of those. And unfortunately 
history is going to forget this throw because Brandon Ayuk could not haul it in. Yeah. I will, however, commit to remembering that in my heart as long as I can. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Gold hits a, a 31-yard field goal, which um, to the Dallas kicker, you know that that was probably the play of the game. Yeah, yeah, a, pretty field, impressive, a field yeah. goal from 31 yards is is amazing. Um, from there, Seattle just ran like 100 straight out routes as the 49ers were kind of in prevent defense. They did manage to to get down into San Francisco ter- territory and score kind of like a garbage time touchdown to Metcalf to pull it to 23-41. Um, but then, fittingly, the onside kick is recovered by McCaffrey. You know. They get a couple, you know, the closer comes in, Mariano Rivera for us. Um, you know, J.P. Mason comes in, picks up a first down run, you know, and we kneel it out, and that's the game, 41-23, to 23, and, and the 49ers are advancing. And, and again, hats off to the Seahawks. They they went way further than anyone expected. But as ugly as the first half was, that 18-point victory, that's the result that we were expecting. Yeah, they, they played basically flawlessly in the first half for them got some help with that bonehead penalty and basically were only up by one point. So to hang with a team like San Francisco, they needed to be up by at least 10, you know, maybe 14 if you're, if you're going to want to have a shot in that game. So uh, congrats to them for playing a tremendous half of football. And fortunately the 49ers once again, made terrific halftime adjustments on offense and defense. Brock Purdy looked like a completely different player or I guess you could say he looked more like the Brock Purdy that we've seen the last six or seven weeks in the second half. We really didn't see any more of those really late throws, those behind-the-receiver throws. He looked crisp. He looked good, confident. 49ers established the run game the way they want to and pushed them around, pushed the Seahawks around on defense as well. So really just a tale of two halves. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times in the second half. So really great to see. And nice that they get uh, an extra day of rest now to uh, prepare for Dallas. Yeah, which we told you all on last week's podcast. We said, you know, don't be angry that we're playing on Saturday. Be happy that we're we're going to win this game and then we're going to have extra rest over anyone we play you know, next week. And, and especially if it's either Dallas or Tampa, then we're going to have a, a two-day head start. Dallas is kind of whining about that. But for me, they were in a blowout and we're still throwing out all their starters. You know, why is why is Parsons rushing on a third down when you're up by 17 points with less than two minutes in the game? Yeah, so, that was a surprise so if, for sure. If they come in and they're sore and they whine about it, then you can blame their coaches. Don't <laughs> don't don't blame the schedule makers. Too many stats really to to go over, but my favorite that's being kind of spread out across social media from this game is, you know, you've heard of the Warriors death lineup during the the peak of their dynasty where you know, they just go small on the floor and everyone who's on the floor, you know, can play a different position and, you know, can shoot threes. And it's just, that that's what people call it, the death lineup. They're starting to talk about that with the 49ers 21 personnel grouping. Um, if you've played Madden, it's more like what you'd expect if you were going to line up for a run out of I formation. But it's basically with McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, George Kittle, and Kyle Juszczyk all on the field. They averaged 15.35 yards per play not like per catch or per run per play out of that formation in 21 personnel yeah and that's you could say like oh well that's probably skewed by Debo's 76 yarder I mean how many times were they in that formation or how many times were they in that personnel grouping well 17 times 17 plays for 261 yards just super impressive I came away from this weekend just so grateful for Kyle Shanahan because you watch the bad offenses that lost 
or that just really struggled to move the ball. And it was nothing like watching our, our team play. And you watch the good offenses and everything smart or tricky that they were doing is like, oh yeah, we did that last week or we did that two weeks ago. He's he's such an innovator. Be thankful for him, 49ers fans. Yeah, and typically, like you said, when you've got 21 personnel and you've got two running backs, a lot of times that might be an eye formation or you know, maybe you've got, maybe if you're you know playing out a shotgun or whatever, maybe you have a, a back on each side of the quarterback. But the nice thing about the 49ers is with Juszczyk and Kittle and McCaffrey, you've got three guys that can all line up at fullback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, like literally everything except offensive tackle or offensive guard. Um, You have these Swiss army knives that can line up anywhere, and they do. Um, And you can really exploit those defensive uh, mismatches, um, if you will, when you've got guys that can literally line up in any spot on either side. So definitely saw a lot of creativity from Shanahan in this one. No trick plays, but you know, against the Seahawks, you didn't really need trick plays. You just need some variety. Yep. So we definitely saw that um, Shanahan was very aggressive in the first half, kept the pedal to the metal in the second half. And again, a really encouraging sign. You really start to believe that the 49ers do have a chance. We know that no rookie quarterback has ever won a Super Bowl. Certainly not ever <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant has ever won a Super Bowl. But you do get the sense that this is definitely possible when you see that the offense was not really clicking. They were not really playing very well in the first half. They still put up 41 points and the 49ers defense, which has been susceptible to some deep plays, some busted coverages now and then not really great on third and long either, which is, you know, kind of a mystery for a top tier defense. But if the defense plays really well, the offense doesn't have to play great and vice versa. So many times we have seen with the 49ers, the defense has bailed out their offense time and time again. And now, even with Brock Purdy, we are seeing the offense bail out their defense, which is crazy. So if they put it together, they can absolutely beat any team in the NFL. That being said, Dallas, I think, played the best game out of anybody besides the 49ers last week. You know, we're thinking ahead to the Super Bowl of like, well, who's the toughest team to beat? Is it the Bengals? Is it the Chiefs? Is it the Bills? Dallas played really, really well. They did. I think there's an argument to be made that Tampa is probably the worst team that did make it into the playoffs. They have just been sputtering like crazy and have looked really bad most of the season, but they did win the division. So, I mean, that's not even like a case of expanded playoffs where the Bucks snuck in, like they did win the division. Um, But yeah, just nowhere near the level of talent uh, that Dallas has. So Dallas obviously is going to have a much tougher time against us, but they are playing really well. Uh, aside from their kicker, so yeah, for the watching, I was I was watching the uh, the Peyton and Eli broadcast last night, and it was pretty great seeing. Um, so if you missed it, or if you've been living under a rock, Dallas's kicker Mar missed four extra points last night, three wide right and one wide left. And after the third one, Peyton just got up. What are we doing? Why are we still kicking it? It was like shades of when he went after Mike Vanderjack, you know, our idiot kicker got liquored up and ran his mouth. <laughs> you know, Peyton, Peyton's, he needs to maybe go to counseling. He's got, he's kicker issues. Yeah. He, he definitely some kicker issues there, but yeah, we were talking about it and it's exciting. You know, the NFL is thrilled to have this, this matchup of America's team against the 49ers who have been such a national draw and such yeah. a great story. It's a throwback to some epic 80s, yep. late 80s, early 90s uh, playoff and, appearances. You know, I don't know that Dallas is is better than they were last year. For anyone who's kind of quaking in their boots or Dallas fans who are um, just convinced that they're going to run all over the 49ers, you know, Dallas is mostly the same team that they were last year. For the 49ers, we did not have Brock Purdy 
you know, lighting it up and scoring 30 points a game. We also, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo of course was the starter last year and he had already had a massively busted shoulder, the shoulder that sort of infamously ended up requiring surgery. So he was playing with a busted throwing shoulder, uh, limping along, just doing everything we could, you know, whether it's defense or special teams picking us up. Jimmy was playing with a severely damaged shoulder, um, and was not able to really do much for the team at all in any of their playoff victories. Yep. We did not have Christian McCaffrey. We did not have Mooney Ward. You know, some highlights Bosa from... Bosa got hurt oh, yeah. in that game too. Yeah. He had a concussion, didn't even play in the second half. So some highlights from last year's playoff game. Um, if you've forgotten it, I'm sure you remember how it ended. But Debo was a monster in that game. He had a great 25-yard touchdown run. Um, Kwan got kind of burned out of the slot. He got picked on, which is not really a part of the 49ers defense right now with Jimmy Ward playing so well in the slot. Um, you know, Schultz, their tight end, didn't get his first catch until right before halftime. He's become a bigger part of their game, and he's something we have to watch out for. He's he's really an emerging player at tight end. Dallas was sloppy at times with multiple false starts and offsides in this game. Jimmy cost the 49ers with a really bad miss to Brandon Ayuk, who cooks Diggs. Like, Diggs is a great corner, but Brandon Ayuk seemed to have his number from a running perspective, but just could not get the ball from Jimmy. Jimmy also had a really bad interception where he was throwing on the run and just airmailed it. Um, just did not play that well. They also Dallas was also aided in that game, which again we still beat them. But they had a fake punt where Josh Norman fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, that was made you sick. Yeah, they also had a punt where they ended up keeping the ball because Nizacha ran into the kicker um, bad enough, landed into his you know, plant leg that it was called roughing the kicker. Um, and then the 49ers also had a controversial first down that was overturned. They, they said that Debo's knee was down with a minute left. We should have been kneeling it out likely, but they moved the ball back. And then we went to QB sneak to end the game and Trent Williams, you know, they sent him in motion to kind of copy what they had done the week before in green Bay, but Jimmy was too anxious. Didn't wait for him to get set. So even though the QB sneak was successful, false start, you know, move it back five yards, give it to Dallas. And then Dallas infamously, you know, move down the field a little bit. And, you know, Prescott, you know, scrambles up the middle, but tries to spot, spot the, ball the ball himself, himself and, yeah. and, and they don't manage to get the playoff in time. I'll remind everyone, they were not in a position to kick a field goal to tie the game. They still would have had to have thrown a touchdown from like the 25 yard line or whatever it was just to tie, which was not going to happen. But yeah, Dallas fans still bitter about that and definitely coming into this game with, with a, a thirst for revenge. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that we're going to make any official uh, predictions on the podcast here. Um, I think we, we certainly are confident that the 49ers can win this game. We believe they should win this game. But Dallas is going to be the best test that they have had in in months Um, This is going to be the toughest team they've played, especially if Dak Prescott can show up the way he did last week. He looked spectacular. Um, I think Dan Orlovsky or somebody was mentioning that they may have sort of learned or been familiar with Tampa's hand signals. So they went really, really up-tempo. A lot of times, no huddle, not allowing defense, uh, the defense for the Bucs to make substitutions. And Dak was audibling a lot at the line. So I don't know if they're going to try and continue that against the 49ers. I wouldn't expect to see quite so much, uh, certainly. But we'll see. I mean, it's a tale of two teams, right? When Dak balls out, they are an elite top-tier team. When Dak plays really poorly, they're not. It's just as simple as that. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is pretty much washed at this point. I'm not sure why they still keep giving him the goal line carries and, and you know the bulk of the work that they do. Pollard is significantly better at this point. 
Yeah, Skip Bayless controversially saying that Pollard is better than McCaffrey, which I don't think is is fair. Maybe he's a better runner at this yeah, stage of his career, I, but he's not as as multiple as McCaffrey is in terms of what he can achieve on a football field. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Pollard is criminally underrated. I think he certainly is in the conversation for when you say like, well, is there anybody else that can do what Christian McCaffrey does? I think Pollard is definitely one of those guys that's sort of in the conversation. I think it's a little bit premature at this point, given the lack of uh, history or track record that we have. That being said, Pollard really, really flashes. He's very fast, great in space. He can do it all. He can catch, he can run. Um, Just substantially better than Ezekiel Elliott at this point in their careers. The one thing that we don't know for sure is can he be that workhorse back? Can he carry the load the way McCaffrey has? Of course, McCaffrey has injury history as well, but we, we don't know if Pollard can be that workhorse guy or if he's just one of the most elite sort of lightning to the thunder change of pace backs, if you will. I'm sure Dallas fans would like to see him getting more involved. I would be really stunned if we see more than six or eight Ezekiel Elliott carries in this game. The 49ers defense is susceptible to the pass. They are not susceptible to the run, and they are going to have a field day if the Cowboys try and run Ezekiel Elliott in this one. Some other matchups to watch, you know, as I said, Diggs is impressive as a ball hawk, but the Cowboys graded out as the worst team in the NFL against second wide receivers. So there's a pretty big drop off there. They also had a a starting safety, you know, go out with an MCL who insists that he's going to play, you know, in, in this game, but we'll see. And then their left tackle too, you know, Peters, who's been in the league forever, you know, he left the game with a hip injury and is not expected to play. I think for the 49ers, you know, we're so diverse in what we can do that it's hard to even put your finger on like who is the person to try to stop in our offense are you going to try to stop McCaffrey or Debo or Kittle or who are you going to focus on for Dallas I think their best players on both sides of the ball are not necessarily sort of perfect matches for for stopping us and what we do you know Micah Parsons is great but we're good at stopping edge rushers but the strength of our offensive line is our tackles or you know Van Der Esch is good across the middle and he's a good run stuffer but he's not that great in coverage <laughs> you know he's a little bit more lumbering or you know just some he of the, played he played really well he did he did he played really well um last week as well so I think the Saints are the team that defensively had the most success against us in recent memory um, they've got a good linebacking core. Dallas definitely does have a good linebacking core. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they choose to to rush Parsons almost exclusively or if they do want to try and disguise it, have him drop back. A lot of Dallas fans are saying they want him to be defensive player of the year. And if not for Nick Bosa, he probably would have gotten it. He was a force against Tampa, even if he wasn't getting sacks. Um, he blew up at least two screens that I saw where he just deflected him at the line. He was all over Brady the whole game. So Micah Parsons, definitely a, an elite player, but you know, we have the choice. We can kind of run around him or run to the other side or, you know, again, we'll just have to see how they want to deploy him and then trust that the second half adjustments that whatever we get is going to continue us on that path that we've had where it's just, you know, corrections left and right after the half and and much better results well you alluded to the saints doing well staying in man coverage against us i think the issue with that is that if shanahan is prepared for that and if they show man coverage then okay fine then then we'll we'll go send you know kyle uscheck or christian mccaffrey is going to have eight catches in that game yeah fine then mccaffrey will burn vander esch all game or you to mitigate parsons 
you move you know you know you move your your players around so that Parsons is stuck in coverage or stuck act, playing actual linebacker. And if he doesn't, okay, well then you know he's blitzing. And I, I think Shanahan will be prepared, especially with a couple extra days. So. Well, I'm going to give you a couple quick hits. Just give me quick predictions. I know we're not a prediction podcast, but uh, just for the games next week, Jags, Chiefs, who do you like? I don't think the Jaguars are going to have the emotional energy. A lot of people are saying the Chiefs are on upset watch, but how can you bet against the Chiefs at this point? So um, it's it's certainly possible that Jacksonville could upset them, but I just really don't think it's likely. I'm going to go Chiefs on that one. Yeah, I think me too. Giants, Eagles. I think the Giants can surprise a lot of people. Um, the Eagles have been great all year. And I'm gonna I'm I don't know, I'm not a huge upset guy, I guess. I, I do think I do think the Giants can win. I really do. I think they can beat the Eagles, but I'm gonna go Eagles in this one as well. I think I will too. A lot of love for the Giants right now, but I think people are forgetting that they only scored thirty one points against a Minnesota team that, you know, has probably the worst defense of any that that made it to yeah. to the playoffs. Um Bengals Bills. I think the Bengals may be a better team, but I'm gonna go Bills on this one. I think they're they're riding a, a different kind of emotional high um, coming off of the DeMar Hamlin thing. You know, obviously they, they looked really bad against Miami, but I think, I think Josh Allen is going to sort of turn it around, maybe not have quite as many turnovers. Yeah. And I do like the bills in that one myself. I tend to agree. And then 49ers Cowboys. Well, the 49ers <laughs> by 47 points. Of course, of course. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting, you know, finally get a, a nice slot to uh, Sunday night at 6.30. Can't wait. Fox is sending out their number one broadcast crew for it. So really, really can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Ticket prices are skyrocketing. <laughs> so so if you won the lottery and can afford one, congratulations. So anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And also follow us on Twitter for more 49ers content. We will see you next week. We are the Niners Bros.